Welcome to episode number 64 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is the podcast where helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you, the listener, by giving you the tools, the tips, the strategies that you need to build an online business around your research experience, around your expertise, so you can make meaningful change with the, the background that you have in your life. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about how to integrate online entrepreneurship into your Alt-Ac career path. And we're doing that with Dr. Katie Linder from drkatielinder.com. Katie, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks, Chris. I'm really happy to be here. So Dr. Linder has a BA in English Literature, um, an MA and a PhD in Women's and Gender Studies from Ohio State University. She's certified coach through the International Coach Federation. Um, she's had several of these, what we're, we'll get into what this means in a second, but Alt-Ac roles throughout her career. And she's currently the Executive Director for Program Development at Kansas State University Global Campus. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Katie, but I think we first met back in the self-employed PhD group, which is now part of the on the Professoriate. Is that right? Yeah, I think that is where we met first. So we kind of chatted on early days in my career and, and over the last number of years with her career online through entrepreneurship. And I've really enjoyed following your work over these number of years. I've been listening to the You've Got This podcast. I listened to Academic Gig with Dr. Sarah Langworthy, who we've had here on the Grab Blogger podcast a couple of times. That's now, I think, Make Your Way. Katie also does Coach to Coach podcasts, and she's had Dr. Katie Peplin and Dr. Caitlin Foss, who have also been on the Grab Blogger podcast. So you can see there's a lot of uh, similar names and similar stories of academics doing really amazing things. So that's really exciting, and I'm excited to have Katie on here today. It's such a small world, Chris. I feel like we we know all the same people, which is really fun. Yes, for sure. And I don't know when the last time we got on a call. It's probably been a year and a half or so since uh, since we last kind of talked to each other. So I'm really excited about uh, about going through this. Yeah, me too. I'm glad we could reconnect. And I'm also so glad you haven't mentioned that you were profiled in our Alternative Academics book. So that was another connection point that was really fun. Yes. And so that is Going Altac, A Guide to Alternative Academic Careers. Because I got a, a short blip, we'll say three senses, I actually got a free copy of the book. <laughs> so that was my big win out of that uh, that circumstance. And that book's by Katie and then the co-authors, Kelly and Tobin. And when I read through it, I really enjoyed it. It's kind of choose your own adventure in this whole world of, of finding an alt-ac, an alternate academic career. But it has a lot of important stuff. It's not you know pretentious. It's not really that fluffy. There's things like how to deal with the two-body problem, you and your significant other. And the thing that really resonated with me is that I included entrepreneurship as part of this um, academic alternative academic career. So that's what we're going to be diving into in this episode. We're going to talk about what is Alt-Ac, how does entrepreneurship fit in. We're going to talk about creating your multi-year career map, and I'll put career in air quotes because we're going to talk a bit about how entrepreneurship is going to fit in there as well. How did Katie get started building her online business and how to juggle some of these decisions that might come up along the way. So we talked a bit about how we met, you know, a number of years ago. Um, can you just walk us through some of the, the highlights of your online entrepreneurship journey and then where you're at today for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my business several years ago, probably in like 2012, 2013, um, first as a speaker and a workshop facilitator. And that was when I was um, directing a center for teaching and learning in the Boston area and I just got requests from people in the region um, to do some speaking engagements and some workshop facilitation. And I should say at that point, I didn't really f say that I had a business. I mean, I was just kind of someone who was doing speaking on the side. And so I did that for several years. And then I moved into a new position, um, which was the job I had before the one I have now, which was in Oregon. 
and I was in more of a research role. And while I was there in that job, I ended up expanding the business out to include various products and services, including my coaching, which I do now, some online course products, and most recently, a coach training program um, for academics and higher education professionals. And that was really maybe around 2016 was when I formed my LLC and actually kind of started identifying as someone who had a business and and got really serious about it and, and really started to try to educate myself about marketing and, and revenue streams and, you know, all the things that come with having a business. So that's a little bit about some of the major highlights. I want, I want to dig into that because you said something kind of interesting there, identified as a person who had a, had an online business or had a business. So before then you were kind of operating, but you, you maybe didn't self-identify as, you know, having a business. Yeah. I mean, I think that for a long time, I, I just kind of thought I'd fallen into it a little bit, you know, like I, I wasn't really trying to direct the work as much as I started to do later on. Um, and when I was doing the speaking, it was just, it was very word of mouth. I mean, I think I had a website, but I'm not sure I was even promoting the speaking on it. I think it was more like a CV. And um, because I was in the Boston area, there's just so many schools there. And so I was doing a lot of regional speaking. And then I started to get invited to go to some other places in the country. And, you know, I think my reputation started to kind of expand a little bit in terms of what I could do. But when I moved jobs, I actually took like a year off of speaking because I was launching a new research unit and I needed some time to kind of get that going. And I had moved out of the region. And so I kind of thought, well, I don't really have regional connections in the Northwest in the same way that I did in the Boston area. So this is a good time to kind of take a break. But then around that time, uh, what really shifted my mindset a little bit is I had another book coming out. And I knew that that book might bring about more speaking engagements because people kind of knew that I you know, had that book coming out. And I thought, okay, I really need to think about this. And start to generate like an audience. And it really was tied to the book promotion at first. And then it just kind of expanded into all these other areas. What was the timeline on that kind of uh, process when you had that that year off? Yeah. So that would have been um, like 2015 to fall of 2016. And I started around uh, the summer of 16, I was doing some podcasting and blogging. And I would say I had almost a full year where I just like created content. Like I wasn't really selling very much. And then it was around 2016 in the fall that I formed um, the LLC. And that was also when I had a book come out. And then I launched a webinar series. And so I would say like the bulk of my business in terms of how I currently see it has really been operating now for about four years. So I started in in um, September 2016 with my blog, and it's the same sort of thing where I was. It wasn't a business at that point; it was communicating online. It was a bit of of you know building myself a, as an authority, but I was trying to switch career roles um, to a, a new field and looking to get a job after I finished my PhD. And about you know three or four months in, I realized there's something here. Um, one, I already had job offers coming in because I was the only person in the world talking about my topic and blogging about it. <laughs> but I realized that there, there's some opportunity for business here. And I remember those discussions, those early days in that self-employed PhD group where you were talking about things like forming your LLC and you had just finished kind of a big push, I think, on your on that book. And you were maybe even creating a course on how academics can promote books. I was, yeah. You have a good memory, Chris. Yeah, that was one of my first online courses was how to promote academic books. It was a fun time. I and mean, we were, a lot of us that uh, we mentioned the outset, like, uh, you know, Dr. Foss and Dr. Peplin, 
um, we're all sort of trying to, and, and Dr. Langworthy as well, we're all sort of trying to, to find our way in this thing that is called online business, which I don't know, I, I, I look fondly back on those years. <laughs> yeah, I do too. It was a lot of fun. I mean, there's, I feel like in the beginning, there was pressure, but it was a different kind of pressure um, <laughs> that we were just like experimenting and playful and trying to figure out what worked. And, and I've always appreciated, I feel like online entrepreneurs or any kind of entrepreneurs in the academic space, we're pretty open about sharing with each other, like what's working, what's not working. You know, like I, I feel like there's not a ton of competition because we're all doing pretty different things and we're coming from really different backgrounds and skill sets. And I think that's, I mean, I love the community that we've built um, of people who are kind of doing this on the side or trying to do it full time or doing it full time because we're really generous with what we're learning and and what we're coming to find out about how do you actually do this and, and be successful. I, I promise the listeners will stop with the nostalgia session soon, but I was listening to those early podcasts and you had things like you were, uh, you know, very fond of, of checklists and whiteboards and to-do lists. And, and at the same time I would show my, uh, be on video in my, in the Facebook groups I had running showing that I had six whiteboards covering the walls of my office. And so you have, there's a lot of ideation up front and you need somewhere to contain all those ideas. Yes, that's very true. And I still have tons of whiteboards in my house. And yeah, that's, that is so, so true. Okay. So I want to put some, some definitions here and we're going to, in the spirit of the book, which I said wasn't pretentious, this whole discussion is also not going to be pretentious because there is some people that don't like the term Altac necessarily. We don't necessarily have to go down that road, but what I want to do is try to put some just general ideas around what is academic, Altac, non-Ac. I know that was something that the, the book tried to do. Just somebody comes up and asks, what does that even mean to you? What's what's the kind of first place for a response on that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And and I should also say, Chris, we talked about that when we were trying to figure out how, what to call this in the book. And there there is a lot of debate around these these names, but it's also like what people know. And and so I, I welcome those conversations because I think there are a lot of different ways we could talk about this. But I think about academic positions as being really kind of primarily tenure track roles or roles where you're really focused on the task of being a faculty member. So if you're a full-time adjunct or an instructor, that can maybe fall into this definition in some cases. But PhDs who are really kind of pursuing that traditional pathway, um, and that might also include even upper level administrative positions in some cases like department chairs, because that, that really is kind of coming out of a faculty track uh, in terms of that role. And then when I think about alternative academic positions or ALTAC positions, these are ones that are still typically in higher ed, but I think they could be in a range of spaces outside of the faculty role. So things like faculty development or grants administration or student affairs, like there's so many different directions you can go. And when we started listing these in the book, I was like shocked. I I couldn't really believe how many different directions you can go when you actually start thinking about it. So often I think people in Altac positions have a PhD, but they're really repurposing their skills toward a different kind of role that's that's outside of that more traditional research and teaching position. And then the non-ACT positions are folks who also may have a PhD, but they're often using it outside of the higher ed space. So that could be in adjacent fields like museums or like national disciplinary organizations, but it could also be things that are a little further afield, like government positions or corporate positions. So it's really a lot of different things on a spectrum. You could kind of think about it as a spectrum of how you're using your PhD and how close are you to the path that was kind of traditionally set out for what you might do versus, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, you can really go outside of academia and still be really successful. 
And then I think there's even kind of an adjacent piece there of the entrepreneurship, which could maybe fall into the non-act positions or even the alt-act positions, because sometimes that entrepreneurship is really adjacent to what you might be doing in higher ed. Yeah, I love it. And I just flipped open to one of the notes I had in the book. Um, I showed some uh, some pictures on social media of my, my book. It's quite dog-eared. <laughs> um, it's quite uh, marked up. But the, the one that I like is this. There's a figure 1.1. It's got a map of academic careers, alt-act, non-act on the, the y-axis. And the x-axis has sort of the stages of your career. So early career, mid-career, late career. And then you guys tried to attempt to you know map out all these different areas. It's kind of neat to see. And I appreciate the discussion. It's interesting to hear how those kind of all fit in. And it's also interesting. I'm trying to integrate my own theory into this. And where I've been is now after four years of doing this, I, I built the Safety Science, the blog that I started as as my PhD blog, into a, a full-time business, um, into a corporation. We have a small team. And we're, we're trying to make really big change in the world. But I'm, I would say that started as non-ACK. It was very industry focused, um, but it's kind of working its way back up the ladder. And I'm, I'm almost seeing it as this, I call it the road to self-tenure. So if, if academic is the, the tenure track, I'm trying to build an online business that can fund all my dreams of research and fund all the change that I want to see in the world and almost create sort of a mini university, but that's focused on you know solving problems that are directly aligned with what the industry needs. Now it's kind of an interesting model that I'm still I haven't quite fleshed it out yet. Maybe I'll have my own version of of that graph in my in my book when I come up with it or something. But it's it's interesting to see where this entrepreneurship fits in. And what I really like about your journey is that it wasn't either or. And I think we'll get to this towards you know in in a little bit in the podcast episode. But it doesn't have to be that you jump headfirst in entrepreneurship and that you quit your PhD or that you leave your, your uh, alt-ac or you, maybe even your academic position. It can be as well. I mean, I, I did do that. I, I graduated from my PhD degree and then four days flew down to Chicago to uh, launch my business and, and present and bring on clients there um, and, and haven't looked back <laughs> um, except for fond, fond remembrance. But there is other ways that you can do this, um, building a business. And so it's kind of interesting to see that. I think this ties into one of the concepts I liked in the book, which was something I'd known you for, which is this sort of really heavy planning on how to get the skills you need to get to whatever level you're looking to get to next. I think in the book, this is called your your multi-year career map. Maybe could you talk through what are some of the steps to, to figuring this out for somebody who, who wants to try to map this process out for themselves? Yeah, um, this is actually like one of my favorite things to do. Um, And I do this a lot with my coaching clients because I really like setting big goals and then breaking them down into smaller pieces. And I think one way to do that is through like a multi-year plan. So sometimes I do a five-year map. Sometimes I do a thousand day or a 500 day map, depending on kind of how far I feel like I want to go into the future. But I start with kind of recommending that you, you think about your personal life first. And I think that this is kind of something that's um, surprising to some people when they think about like a multi-year career map to really integrate the personal life. But I think that it's really important to have that kind of integration. So start with, you know, like how old will you be in five years or a thousand days or whatever your, your span is. And if you have children or you have a partner, how old will they be? And if your parents are still living, how old will they be? And do you have any major financial milestones that you're working toward, like paying off you know, your student loans or buying a house, 
Do you have any health or wellness milestones that you're working toward? Are there any personal development milestones that you're working toward? So really do some kind of reflection on the personal side of like, where are you headed? What are you really looking to do? And then turn your attention to the professional side and really think about what are the professional goals that you have for yourself that you really want to move forward in that time period. And that could include, you know, moving up to a new title or a new level of responsibility in your job or managing more people, managing a bigger budget. Um, sometimes it's publishing a dissertation or other work of scholarship or expanding your skill set in a new direction um, through public speaking or grant writing or consultation. I mean, there's so many different directions that people can go. And I think another consideration for me when I'm always thinking about these long-term career maps, is there like a gap or a trend that I see that I want to really position myself for? And so, for example, you know, years ago, I really saw coaching as a growing field and I decided to pursue my coaching certification so that I could really be ready to engage in that industry, having a credential and, and really feeling like I was situated with a lot of credibility as I was moving into that space. And I knew it would take me a while to get there. I, I took a full year of coach training. And as that was kind of being layered into my business, like that was definitely a longer term strategy that I had. So I think the multi-year career map really opens up the goals in a big way because you can really go for stuff that's going to take a while. And I think sometimes when we think on a shorter time span, we don't always go big. So that's always the fun part of a multi-year career map. So you really, you got the steps, you start with the personal, which I, I can't emphasize that enough. That's the only way to know if you're going to build something that takes you to where you want to go. <laughs> if you don't do that first, you might, you know, get on the train to the wrong station. <laughs> Then you have, you know, what does the professional side look like and sort of this gap development. Let's dive into that a little bit. So the gap development is really about finding the skills you might need to get to those next levels. Do you have some sort of tips or strategies for the the audience to be able to to figure out what those are? Yeah, I mean, I think that right now, actually, this is a really good time to be thinking about this because as the economy is kind of going through its ups and downs, you know, and as we record this for people who are listening to it significantly later, we're right smack in the middle of COVID-19 response. And people are getting furloughed and losing their jobs. And, and it's a really kind of uncertain time for a lot of academics. And I think about, you know, looking for things that have a kind of stability within the market when it comes to academia. So years ago, one of these things for me was I really felt like quantitative literacy was one of those things that people always wanted. They always wanted a statistician. You know, they always want that, like those kinds of jobs, like there's always something there. There's a consulting job or there's there's something that, that you can do. So I took a class because I didn't really feel like I had done that work well when I was in grad school. I was way more on the qualitative side um, with my dissertation. So I kind of taught myself statistics just so that I could kind of understand what it was. And then I ended up leading a research unit that did things like experimental design. And I really did need to have that literacy when I was doing that work. And then a second example would be grant writing. People always need funding. They always need good grant writers. And so I kind of trained myself and I put myself in situations where I would be asked to be part of grant writing teams so that I could really build up that muscle and understand what it took to be a successful grant writer. Well, a couple of years later, I had a million dollars in grants that I had been the lead grant writer on. And it was like, okay, that's that's a quantifiable thing that I can put on my CV. And it was also what kind of led me into that research position because I'd been able to do that grant writing. So always kind of thinking ahead and, and looking a few years out allows you to kind of develop those skills that they're not necessarily something you can do overnight. I mean, it, it can take a couple of years to really get the experience you would need to feel like you can say with confidence 
yes, I am somebody who can do this thing. Yeah, I love it. And if I think of kind of an analogy, and it's one that's close to my heart because we are we are in COVID lockdown right now, if you want to use the word lockdown. And for me, what that means is that I, I'm the, the child care provider for the last three and a half months for my son, but we're actually building our deck out back or redecking the deck out back. It's like, it's a, it's a very big deck. <laughs> it has 3000 nails that had to be removed to replace the boards. <laughs> um, so it's taken the last two months, but it's, I looked at it starting knowing this isn't going to be something that's short. It's nice for him because it's a contained area so he can run around um, and we're out in the sun playing in that. So that's why it was a good job for this time. Um, but it's literally been pick up a board, make the hole where the board is and put the new board down so my son doesn't fall through the hole. <laughs> I can't make the holes too big in the deck or else, you know, the play time is over. But it's been a long process and every day it's, you know, replace another three boards or if we're lucky, place five boards. And it's almost towards the end now. And it's been building up that whole time. You know, it's really nice to see how all the boards fit together, learn all the skills about how to cut them right and uh, how, you know, how not to make mistakes and, and all that sort of stuff, or at least how to cover your mistakes. It, is, it takes time, just like developing these skills and this long-term vision of, of where you want to go. This has been really helpful. And I like this idea of looking for long-term skills that are going to be there, like you mentioned, grant writing and even statistics and research methodology and that sort of stuff. I want to go down the track of figuring out what are the entrepreneurial or what are the skills that are, are best served by building an online business and, and you know doing this entrepreneurial path. I think a good place to kind of start there would be just going back in your journey. Where did you, even before you started integrating it, or maybe because of integrating to your multi-year career path, you know, how did you get started building your business online and where did that sort of fit into this trajectory that you're describing? I think that your metaphor of deck building is such a good one, Chris, for this, because it literally is like one board at a time. I mean, it's so now I, I run this program um, that's an annual mastermind called Slow Hustle. And the reason I named it that is because I really do feel like when you're building a business, there is this sense in like the online entrepreneurship community of like, you do it overnight, you know, like, or, or you like do it with, you know, you hustle so hard and like, you don't have any balance and I just feel like over time, I just like slowly, like board by board, you know, built up this business and people look at it now and they're like, wow, you, you know, you're doing a lot of things. And I'm like, but I wasn't in the beginning. I literally did like one thing and then I added one more thing and then I saw how that went and then I added one more thing. And, and now I've, I've sunset some things. I've, I've removed some things from what I do. I've added other things. And I think that, you know, when you, I'm, I'm not the most patient person, but I think you do have to approach business building with a little bit of patience, especially if you're doing it on the side and you know that it's not necessarily going to be an income replacement or that's not really where you're headed. For me, it's been a lot more about sustainability and really thinking about where can I help people? Where can I kind of use my gifts that I want to share with the world? Where can I have an outlet for creativity, which is a huge part of my business for me? And what does it mean to do that when I also have a full-time job when I have a partner, you know, like when I have certain things that I also want to spend my time on. So I think that that, you know, when I think about getting started, I think it was really slow. And I'm really glad I had that experience because I think it helps me to help other people think about what building a business can look like in a really realistic way. And it's not always kind of that overnight, you know, success that I think sometimes is what we see online. It's the four years to get to an overnight success. <laughs> right, right. It's funny because you, uh, I skipped this, but in my notes, um, I put in this multi-career path, 
I put it because I've been hearing this a lot um, in the online business space. And we even talked about on the podcast previously, but this multi-year career map I put is the opposite of taking this fast, messy action. Um, and you hear this kind of term where you're just, you know, you're just acting and you're just, and I, I think of it and a mentor of mine explained it as, you know, jumping on the train and, and going to the wrong station. Well, it's great that you jumped on the train, but you know, you want to make sure the tracks are taking you to the place you want to go sort of. So I will say that, and the reason I didn't, didn't bring it up is because it really is two features of a common plan. So you need to have the plan, but that doesn't just get you there. You also need to take action in, in some direction. And sometimes that's can be more of a random walk than, you know, a, a planned um, step one, step two. But if you don't have the plan at all and you take this this kind of action, you, you also might not end up in a in the right spot either. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is actually Sarah Langworthy and I talk about this a lot on Make Your Way because I'm definitely more of a strategic planner and Sarah is more of a follow the energy kind of person. And we've learned, I think we've learned a lot from each other just because we we operate really differently, but we're both successful. Like you can come at it from really different angles. And I, I really do agree about that taking action because I think that what I see the most in this program that I run with people is that they get paralyzed and they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to take a wrong step. So I won't step at all. And we talk a lot about how businesses evolve. Like part of I think about like my website in the very beginning, it looked so different than it looks now. Like there's just been this evolution of the kind of work that I do and how I want to represent myself and the maturity of the brand that I built over time like that's just part of the process. It's part of the journey to have that. And I think that if you don't start moving, you're not going to be able to get that evolution. Yeah, I agree. So I, I do. So we have some ideas around the need to take action and also the need to plan. And I'm a, a big planner too. I like to visualize five years out, three years out, one year out, one month out today. Um, if if I'm doing things right, I'm actually doing that every day. That's how I, I decide on, you know, what the, what the today needs to look like in order to make all those things happen. We talked about the importance of then taking the action to make that happen. Sort of in your your first, you know, kind of around the 2016 timeframe, what did you choose to do first in building your online business? We talked about the kind of slow hustle process. But what was that first thing and, and how did you decide that that was the, the one to, to take a, a crack at? So I ended up, um, one of my first products that I sold that was not a book, like I, I also had to retrain myself to remember like books are products too. Um, but I, I had built a webinar series that I called how to academia and I ran it for two years. Uh, and it was a nine month webinar series where I ran a monthly webinar and it came with like a workbook and I used it to do both individual sales and institutional pricing. And I had a client base at the time of people who had hired me to come speak on their campuses. And so in the first couple of years, I sold several institutional memberships for this program. And so it definitely increased my revenue for the first year. Like this was something that was a significant kind of increase for me. And I wasn't coaching yet, but it's really interesting because when you go back to that product, it was very clearly a coaching kind of product. Like I was trying to present information, but I was also really trying to facilitate how people were engaging with that information and kind of the whole workbook thing, which I've always done in my business. I do like workbooks are like one of my favorite things to do. So I think that um, that was probably one of the earlier things. And I remember super clearly that when I was developing it, and it was like the first real product, and my partner said, you know, what if nobody buys this? 
what if nobody shows up to these webinars? Because the whole point is like, you have to have an audience when you're running a webinar series. And I, I just looked at him and I said, I cannot think like that. I cannot, I cannot even put that in my head. Like I have to be able to move forward with this. I have to have the courage to like put this out there in the world. And I can't be focused on what if nobody shows up? I've got to just believe that this is going to be useful for people. And the first year was focused on writing and publication. And I ended up spinning that into a a course. And then the second year was focused on professional identity because I had a book coming out on professional identity. And it really helped me to understand things like marketing and showing up in a consistent way because I had these monthly things that I had to create. It also helped me to understand when to sunset something because after two years, I, I had shifted in another direction. And so I ended up closing that program and opening up some other things instead. So it was it was a great way to start. And I felt like it also really trained me on the skill of doing effective webinars. So so many things can come out of something that maybe isn't long-term for your business, but you still gain like a ton of really great skills and experience by doing that. Yeah, I love that thinking. And I just, when you were describing it, that your your partner mentioned, you know, what if nobody shows up and you just, you, I had a big smile on the face, but you're like, well, it, it, that can't happen because I, I can't, I can't think like that is what you said. And yeah, yeah, I can't. I had this quote on my wall at, in that 2016 time we were getting started from Seth Godin from a, an audiobook that has the sleep first and code is, was just here. I made this. I hope you like it. And that's sort of how I put my, my work into the world. It's just like, well, I'm shipping today. <laughs> I'm putting something out there and we're going to see, and, and I hope people like it. I can, and he calls it putting yourself on the, the cusp of, you know, what if it works and what if it doesn't work being okay with both outcomes, um, but also having to move forward. And it's, it's a really, it's really interesting to hear that part of your journey. So some of these skills that you mentioned, so you mentioned like doing webinars as being a skill you kind of brought up. And I, I think this ties back into this multi-year career map and then identifying some of the skills you can get from online business and how that fits into a growing your online business and, and B potentially, you know, in your, I'll call it your real world <laughs> um, career path too. If you're, if you're on that track. Can we just rattle off some of these skills that you might get or that you might want to try to fit into your multi-year plan that you can get through online business? Like doing webinars, you mentioned not right, but are there other ones that you've kind of noticed along the way? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I mean, the webinar thing, I would also say website building because for that, I built the website, which led to clients asking me to build websites for them, which became part of my business for a short period of time. I was building websites for clients and I still manage websites for a few clients now. But I've built websites for myself like the whole time I've had my business. And that's been huge to have that skill. I think podcasting is a huge part of my skill set and it has really increased my public speaking ability too, just because I'm I'm putting ideas out on a really consistent basis. Definitely like keeping my writing muscles warm with blogging. I mean, that's been something I've done for a long time. And I would also say I've done a lot of design work in my business that I'm not a, a formally trained designer in any way. I've been a writer my entire life. I mean, so I work with words. I don't necessarily work with design and images and visual, but um, I use Canva like this. I'm, I'm a, a power user of Canva and I designed slide decks there. I designed a workbook there for one of my products that I sold that was an online course and I, I've just really dug into that. Like I've really enjoyed it. And, and so I feel like there's this opportunity to develop skills 
that are definitely not formal. You know, like I could have gone to school to be a graphic designer and I didn't want to do that. I, I went a different pathway, but that doesn't mean that I can't like try to figure out some of those skills now. I feel like there's so much more available to us now than there ever has been in the past. And then the other piece I would say too, that's a little bit more abstract, but really practical too, is marketing. I felt like there was a time when I knew nothing about marketing and I felt so insecure about that. And I really spent time trying to figure it out and and learn about it and look at different strategies and figure out what strategies work well for me and for my clients. And I, I do feel like I've kind of found a little bit of a pathway there. So sometimes it's just that intentionality of saying like, oh, I want to learn about this thing. How can I do a deep dive in that area to really build up my skills? And, you know, all of a sudden, like six months to a year later, you're like, oh, I have so much more confidence in this area than I used to have before. And it's really, you know, it's kind of boring, actually. I mean, you just kind of like set yourself to a little bit of a learning path and then you pick up the skills along the way. Yeah, I, I love it. And I added a couple others. I had the marketing, you know, asterisks for sure. And even even the sales part of that, the comfort with selling, comfort with price setting, comfort with, I know that's something you talk about with Sarah a lot on, I always want to call it academic gig for nostalgia reasons, but the Make Your Way podcast, yes. You know, those are all part of it. Uh, telephone conversations. Uh, in my business, at least, I, I just still do a lot of talking to people all over the world on the phone, um, which seems like a foreign concept these days, but that's still something that, you know, it built up a muscle there. Strategic thinking, negotiating, managing a team has been a huge one for me. We have a team now um, of three or four kind of core people and they are amazing. Um, and then, you know, another three or four contractors that are helping with the safety science, helping with grab blogger. It is a skill and it's a hard skill that they're not teaching us in school on how to manage these large teams. I know you also manage a, quite a large team now with, uh, in your Altac <laughs> career <laughs> at the moment, but it's, you know, it's a skill that uh, definitely can be fostered through this online business thing as well. I think that kind of, you know, takes us through some of this journey of, of where you started, how you decide on what your first product might be, what some of these skills are that you can pick up and build up through. You mentioned something at the very end there that I, I really liked. You said at the end there's kind of can be boring, but it, it's also really exciting taking your something that you're not good at, and, you know, getting good at it. And there's a, a workout program that I, this, the name's going to escape me, but when I read it, I tried it for a while, but that's a different story. When I read it, the concept really struck with me. And the whole concept was not to try to lift heavier weights, but to take whatever your one rep max is today, whatever like is the the scariest thing that you could think you could do today and make it your, your five rep max. So the concept was take your one rep max and make it your five. And then you're naturally just going to be able to lift heavier stuff. So you're never focused on lifting heavier thing. You're staying at the thing you can lift today and be able to make that normal. And I really took that to, you know, if it's really scary to shoot a live video today, I'm going to keep doing that until that just feels like a normal thing. And then my new one rep max, my new really scary thing is going to be something that's even, you know, beyond that level. And that's the way it's really helped me to think about some of these things is what scares me today. And over the next three or six months, how do we make that just feel normal? That is such a good way to look at it, Chris, because I think about even just the webinar example, you know, after I'd done five or six of those things, it was like no big deal to just like jump on in front of people. And and now I do virtual keynoting, especially during COVID time for like hundreds of people on a Zoom room. And it's just like, it's not a big deal. Like, it's just very natural for me to go in front of groups virtually or in person because I've done it a lot and I feel very comfortable doing that. So I think that it is, you know, the other piece that I would say about that boring part 
is when you have something that you're integrating into your life. And I think about this in terms of routines or practices, like I do morning pages as journaling. I am practicing yoga daily right now. That's not always going to be, you know, like some amazing thing. Like sometimes these practices that we take up, it's just routine, like, and, and we're investing in it even though we know it's not going to be some amazing thing that comes out of it. And I was talking with one of my clients and she was like, I'm trying morning pages, but I feel like every day I'm not getting like, you know, a really big aha moment. And I was like, well, that's not what you have coming out of morning pages. Like it's, it's not, the idea is not to have an aha moment every day. It's that you do it every day so that every once in a while you get an aha moment, you know, like it's that investment. So I'm, I think that that's, that's an important piece of business too, is like, sometimes you have these routine things that you do and they're just part of like investing in, in growing the thing that you care about and it pays off, you know, every once in a while it pays off in a really big way. And and that feels awesome. Yeah. I love it. And it's kind of a note to keep going. I think about Facebook lives, I was doing Facebook lives and grab connect for probably about a year. And every week I would show up and I, I, I'm not like Sarah, uh, Dr. Langworthy. I, I don't do a very big script. And uh, uh, we talked about this on a previous podcast episode, her approach to video. I, I jot down some bullet points and then go. But I, I started to get to the point where it's like, what am I going to talk about today? I can't even think of the five bullet points. But I was like, oh, no, muscle through it. You can do it. And and it helped me grow. It helped me get a lot better at that. And now I can, in the Dust Safety Academy, I have a three case study webinar I was supposed to well that I'm doing next Friday. Um and I probably won't get to it till maybe even next Wednesday, but I know the case studies already. I know how to create the slides. But it's just, you know, it's something I do much quicker now because and I put it all the way back to those days of just trying to shoot Facebook lives and forcing myself to do them even when I didn't have the ideas. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. So we talked through some tactics stuff. I want to talk about so I know you're in a unique position with you know, the, the size of the business that you're running and having such success there. And then also being through a couple of different uh, career roles now. And I want to talk about some of the things that might come up when you're doing this, especially on side of your, your main job. I know you just took a, well, I put a new position. You've been in, in it a number of months now. But what was the process of deciding on, you know, picking the role that you're in with the University of or Kansas State University? versus, you know, going full-time online versus doing them both. Can you kind of walk us through? Because I'm sure there are people that are thinking, what am I going to do when I got to make that decision? Or uh, maybe they're even in that position right now trying to figure out they have an online business and they're trying to run it. What does that process look like for you? Yeah, this is a really good question. And I, I get asked a lot, especially as people have kind of watched my business grow and expand over the years, you know, when are you going to quit your job um, and just do this full-time? And I feel like there's just a lot of benefits to keeping my full-time job, even though at this point, the business is pulling in pretty much equal um, to my salary in terms of the salary draw that we take. Um, There's a lot more revenue right now than my salary, but because of taxes and all of that, it doesn't really matter. You just have your salary draw. But those benefits are really about, you know, the benefits package, first of all, retirement and healthcare is really important for me. I provide that for both myself and my partner. And he also happens to be a partner in my business. And so that's a a decision we've made together um, to have those benefits. And then I would also say, especially in my role, because I work so much with academics in the side business, having the credibility of being in higher ed is really important. And I see a lot of trends 
by really being in the trenches that I think it would be harder for me to notice those things uh, if I wasn't in a full-time position at an institution. So I, I think also going back and forth between the business and my day job really does keep me entertained. I think I get bored pretty easily. This is why I'm always kind of creating new things. And it's a lot of work, but I like having that full schedule. And I mean, I think that when I think about moving on from a day job, it's because I'm not really being challenged in a way that I need to be. And for me, and it really follows the um, the timeline that Emily Wapnick talks about in her book on multi-potentialites, how to be everything, about every four to five years, you know, I typically kind of rethink things and and kind of shift and, and decide if I want to move on. And I think that with this most recent shift, I was looking for a little bit more integration of coaching into my job. Um, I definitely don't coach in my day job, but I can use the skills in a different way than I had in my previous job. And I have a bigger team now, as you mentioned. Um, this is the biggest team I've ever managed. And so that's been really helpful. I manage a larger budget. So there's just more responsibility with the current position I have. But there's also a lot more strategy. And strategy is really one of my superpowers. And I was really looking for a position where I could stretch that and, and really play with that a little bit more. So I get some stuff in the business, but I also get some stuff from the day job. And as long as that continues, where I really feel like I'm getting something out of both and that I can balance them in a way that feels really good, I don't really see a good reason to go with just one or the other. Yeah, it makes sense. If there's nothing forcing your hand to do it, like you said, time constraint or anything else, then I, I'd say why not? I, I mean, it's it is it is difficult for me a bit because I I honestly I took the other path. <laughs> I, I said no, I'm all in on the online business, and I'm I'm scrapping any idea of of a day job. Um, and it's been very great for me as well. It's I, it's interesting, and I think people will find solace if they're thinking about both ways right now by listening to us talk about. it. I think it'll be really helpful. And I, I did want to dig into some of your thought process on that. And what I hear out of that is that there is really a lot of alignment, right? It's not like your your day job is completely different. I mean, they're they're different in sort of what you're doing, I guess. But it's not like uh, you're not learning skill sets in one that aren't being applicable to the other, like strategic thinking, like managing a team. And I think that's probably where the overlap comes and maybe some of that synergy. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I definitely think that's part of it. I think that... Um... There's also something to be said for the diversity of it too, though, because there's definitely skills I've developed in my business, like design would be a good example, or website design, that I don't necessarily leverage as much, you know, in my day job. And I'm actually kind of careful about where the boundaries are between what I do in my business and how I leverage certain things for that to grow that and the other kinds of ways that I show up for my day job. And part of that, I think, has been because for the last several years, I've worked for a state institution. And so I've really felt the need to separate that out in a really intentional way. And here in the U.S., you know, there's a lot of concerns about conflict of interest and ethics and transparency. And so I've always been really open about having the business, what the business is, how it's different in, in a lot of ways than what I do in the, in the day jobs that I've had. Because I don't ever want to feel like I'm hiding it. You know, I don't ever want to feel like there's something wrong with it. And I think that especially in higher ed, it is still kind of rare to have people who are kind of actively doing this work. And and we don't always openly talk about it, you know. So I think that the more we do, the better so that people can understand that there are very clear pathways um, that you can do. 
And also, I think that, you know, I do hear from a lot of people who are trying to do some kind of side hustle to get out of an experience that feels really dissatisfying for them, or they they want something different, you know, than what they have in their day job. And my kind of solution to that has been, you know, if I'm feeling dissatisfied, or if I'm feeling like I am not being challenged in the way that I want, I go looking for another job, you know, like I and I, I've built a life design in a way that my partner and I can move and, and we can be kind of flexible about where we go and, and what I do with my job. And it has allowed us to do some pretty significant moves from Boston to Oregon and now to Kansas. So I, I think that that's part of it is there's a flexibility there about what I'm looking for and where I find it that allows us to really take advantage of some kind of unique situations so I think there's a lot of variables involved. I can understand why people go lots of different directions when it comes to this decision. I totally agree. And I appreciate you going through some of that. And I'd say the the big thing is make sure your direction is forward and in the direction that you want <laughs> more than the elements that you're, you're including in that. Like you, like you said, if, uh, if you don't like your job, then the problem might be the job. <laughs> it might not be the thing you're trying to add, the other thing you're trying to add into your life as well. So this has been a really um, interesting discussion, and I really like it because this all really centers back around this, you know, the principles that are in this book, this Going Altac Guide to Ultimate Academic Careers in visualization and coming up with your the trajectory you want in your life, and we'll say in your career as well, but really it starts with, you know, what you want personally, and then using different elements to fill that in. In this episode, we talked a lot about online business and entrepreneurship and how that can fill some of those elements in. You mentioned a couple of times um, your coach training. Uh, I think you have a course out that came out recently as well on on blended course design, which is sort of a you know a specialty area of yourself. Where if somebody wanted to learn more about those, where would they go to to figure that out? Yeah, so everything is on my website, which is drkatylinder.com. And yeah, just kind of slowly build. I'm actually in the process as we record this. I'll launch the new course in about a week. And it's a great example of what I was mentioning earlier about seeing the trends by being in the trenches. It's been really clear to me that a lot of campuses in response to COVID are going to go blended, are going to try to integrate technology with face-to-face. And I happen to have a book on blended course design. And so I decided to pull that back out. I wrote it four years ago, um, or it was published rather four years ago. And to build a course around it and see what I could do, you know, and, and I offer an institutional pricing package and an individual pricing package, you know, all the things that I did early on in my career as a business owner, like all of it is, you know, being leveraged here again with this new product. So that is linked from my website, um, but that course is at blendbydesign.com. And that's all contained in um, your your website, which is drkatylinder.com, K-A-T-I-E-L-I-N-D-E-R. Um, if somebody wants to ask you any questions on the entrepreneurship side, aside from the, the coach training, which I, I'd recommend, and if you want to learn about that a bit, probably the Coach to Coach podcast would be something that would be interesting for for the listener to tune into. But if they want to reach out to you any other ways, there's somewhere else that they should be looking, or is it all really at, at Katie, drkatylinder.com? Well, you can definitely contact me through that. There's a contact form and um, and a lot of people reach out that way. But um, I'm on Twitter. You can come find me there. I'm at Katie double underscore Linder. And I'm on LinkedIn. And I love to connect with people there. And I'm also on Instagram, which is a really fun platform. And I'm there um, at Katie underscore Linder. So I love to connect with other entrepreneurs and academics and people in this space. You know, as you heard Chris and I talk about earlier, 
it's a small world. It's like a little circle that we have that is really, you know, fun that we can share and have this history. And it's like, it was so nostalgic to go back, Chris, and think about like where we started and we're in very different places now. So that's really, it's fun to think about. Well, we'll keep the conversation going as we we keep to build our, building our own businesses and hopefully we'll get you back on the podcast, talk about it again in the future. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Thanks, Katie. I look forward to talking soon. Yeah, you too, Chris. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Dr. Katie Linder, and we've been talking about how to integrate online entrepreneurship into your Altac career path. We talked about some of the early days in online business around academics starting these these types of businesses, at least early days in, in our careers of, of doing it. Um, some of the guests you've heard before on the podcast. We talked about this Going Alt-Ac book, um, A Guide to Alternate Academic Careers, that's authored by Dr. Linder and also by her, her co-authors, Kelly and Tobin. And I personally really enjoyed this book. Um, I found it to be sort of a choose-your-own-adventure, depending on what kind of you know, career directory you're looking for, along with tips on how to set that career directory and also how to figure out the skills you need to get there. That's really kind of what we talked about in this episode. So what are some of these definitions around academic, alt-ac, non-ac? How does entrepreneurship fit in? Um, then we talked about this multi-year career path. And I really like the way that Katie laid it out, focusing on the personal first. What do you want in your life? And I have a, a quote on my wall right now that says, design the business that will support the life you want. Don't design the business that you can just have with the life you have, want now. Or It's something along the lines like that. But the whole point is to build a business that gives you the life you want, not to you know just accept the, the business that you have today. And it's really important. It's think of that personal process first, then you kind of work backwards from there. Okay, what do you need as a, as a career, as a business? Or what are the steps to do that? What are the skills you need? What are the long-term skills? What's that big 3,000 nail deck that you got to, you got to work one board at a time to get through. And then what are those boards that you got to place? Um, we talked a lot about Katie's journey, which I really uh, appreciate hearing. I've seen a lot of the steps involved throughout the years. Uh, but it was good to get a summary of that all in one place. We talked about some of the struggles that might come up. Things like, you know, being in a position to, to work with your partner, even the two body problem with your partner, where how do you both find employment in the same city and how to come around that. And also how to decide if you, you want to go full-time business, full-time drop the business or do both and some things around that. And it's interesting to share some, some different viewpoints around that as well. So I want to say thank you for Katie to Katie for coming on the podcast. I want to say thank you for listening. As always, we'll have a transcript of this episode at grablar.com slash 64. We'll pull it out and put that in a really nice, nice PDF. We want to connect with our guest. Um, we mentioned some ways you can do that at the end of the podcast, but also we'll have her, her contact information and all the links we talked about in the show notes as well. So have a great week ahead. I'm looking forward to bringing you another amazing guest having another amazing discussion on the Grab Blogger podcast next week. Mm-hmm.